0: Welcome to the new Two Docs in a Pod, presented by WellMed. Over the next half hour, Two Docs in a Pod will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts, Dr. Audrey Barria, and veteran broadcaster and attorney, Ron Aaron, will share information to improve your health and well-being. And now, here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Audrey Barria. Well, welcome to Two Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron, delighted to have you on board uh, with our weekly program of news on health and wellness for people of any age. We spend a lot of time talking about Medicare-eligible seniors uh, because in terms of risk of health problems, that's one of the target groups that we are concerned about, but in two docs in a pod, uh, there isn't a topic that we don't cover. Our co-host is Dr. Audrey Barria. Dr. Baria has been part of the WellMed family for nearly six years, She's currently a provider at the Wilmot at Ninth Avenue North Clinic in St. Petersburg, Florida. She began an interest in medicine at a very, very young age, went on to decide, yeah, I'm gonna go to medical school. And she attended Ross University School of Medicine in Portsmouth, Dominica, where she earned her medical degree, completed her residency and an OBGYN fellowship at St. Mary's Hospital in Hoboken, New Jersey. And Dr. Bari is board certified in family medicine, uh, which she will tell you she absolutely loves. And uh, Dr. Barry, we talked about this when we had you on a couple of weeks ago. How did family medicine and OBGYN specialty come together?
1: Well, you know, as a family medicine doc, we are required to do OB. And I found myself really falling in love with just delivering babies. I could stay on labor and delivery for hours on end and not even realize how much time had gone by.
0: I can't imagine what it's like uh, when you deliver that first baby and, and hold it in your hands. What, what is that feeling?
1: Incredible. I mean, that's the only word that I can use and awe-inspiring because you are holding a newborn life in your hands. And especially when they open their eyes and are staring straight at you and you're just dumbfounded with
0: the aweness of all of it. And do you really slap their butts in order to get them to cry?
1: Yeah, if they don't do it on their own, yeah.
0: So you got to get them going.
1: Yes. And it's not considered child abuse at that point.
0: Of course. (laughs) And and one of the topics we're taking up today, and, and for those who are expecting it can often be a challenge, is hurricane survival and preparedness. Now you live in an area where you're at risk for hurricanes and we're gonna welcome our special guest who is joining us, nurse practitioner, Olivia Raman. Uh, She's at your same clinic, Wellman at 9th Avenue North in St. Petersburg. Olivia uh, earned her nursing degree at Florida State University in Tallahassee, earned her master's degree in nursing at the University of South Florida in Tampa, is board certified in family practice and olivia thanks for coming on
2: hey anytime thanks for having me
0: you live in an area where obviously hurricanes are a great risk and as we talk about preparedness i want those who may live in an area where it's not hurricanes it's tornadoes or severe storms or flooding Mm
2: -hmm. what is
0: it we need to know about getting ready
2: Well, you know, every year, especially, you know, in Florida, there's a season of hurricanes and large storms. And I notice people prepare really, you know, close to when the storm is hitting. So the main focus for today, I feel like, is just getting prepared early on so that if something happens at the last second, you're ready no matter what.
0: And when you think about preparedness, are there things that you really need to have in easy access, in case you lose power, in case you lose the roof of your house. What are the kinds of things people should think about?
2: So, you know, first you want to think about having some sort of stock of water and food because you're really not going to make it long without either of those things. And then I would say having a waterproof, fireproof, weatherproof container that has your most important documents. So, your Insurance policies, your bank information, maybe your birth certificate, your social security, and then you need to have, most importantly, a document with all of your emergency contacts. Because if something happens to your cell phone, you lose your power cords, you don't know everyone's phone number, and I feel like that's so important to have that somewhere else safe.
0: Yes, someone mentioned to me the other day. Uh, before that. Uh, cell phone, you used to remember phone numbers. Mm -hmm. Now you don't remember them at all. Dr. Baria?
1: Yeah, I was just going to say that I have to look up my daughter's cell phone number. (laughs) And I should know this, but it's programmed into my phone, I just hit her name. The other thing that we should always keep in that weatherproof pouch or container is a list of medications that the patient or people are taking if they're on any and if there's a way to have an emergency supply in that container just in case you can't physically get out to a pharmacy to refill any of the meds that you could potentially lose.
0: Now that raises a very good point, Uh, nurse practitioner Raman. uh, Can you get extra medicine prescribed even though you're by insurance you're limited to so much per month Mm -hmm. with a storm coming can you get refills that uh, don't cost you an arm and a leg?
2: So in situations like Florida, where you have hurricanes and you at least have some sort of warning that a storm is coming, pharmacists generally are permitted to give extra refills or give refills early, um, even though they might not be due yet. So that's definitely something that everyone should look into with their pharmacy and with their insurance, and especially in states that things happen that aren't as you know, you can't prepare for like a tornado or earthquake or something, it would be good to maybe talk to your pharmacy and see what your options are of having a stockpile.
0: When that storm is coming, we see video all the time, news stories. Suddenly people are rushing to the grocery store, rushing to uh, uh, the home improvement store, rushing to do things at the last minute. How much of that can you do in advance?
2: So really you can have everything prepared now, so especially with COVID lately, we've seen a lot of things out of stock. I everyone remembers the toilet paper debacle when COVID first hit. So I I'm anticipating those kind of things happening again this year when storms are coming. We're gonna run out of water. We're gonna run out of canned goods. So it wouldn't hurt now every time you go to the store to just get a few extra things stockpile. You can stockpile wood to board up windows. Have that ready to go, um, and then other emergency supplies like flashlights, batteries, all of that can be safely stored for months. You know, the other thing you brought up, um, Olivia
1: was canned Mm -hmm. goods. So a Mm -hmm. lot of people have the electronic. Mm -hmm. So make sure you have one of the old fashioned handheld kind that you can just crank yourself without needing power.
0: And as you think about the kinds of things you need, Uh, You mentioned batteries. Uh, That's something that at the last minute, it's probably too late to get them. Better get them in advance.
2: Yeah, for sure. And they last, you know, the while. Some of them you're even rechargeable. So you could use them again next season if you um, didn't use them this year. But flashlights, battery powered. Um, If you get a little radio, which is a good idea to have in an emergency kit, get a battery powered one, but make sure you have batteries, all those kind of things to think about.
0: And then, Dr. Barry, what about a first aid kit?
2: That's always a good idea. I would definitely recommend
1: that.
0: And what are the things you should have in it in addition to band aids?
1: I would say have some sort of um, rubbing alcohol, hydrogen peroxide, and have some sort of non steroidal anti inflammatory, Tylenol or ibuprofen, um, just uh, gauze, ACE bandage just things that you would normally have in like a first aid kit.
0: And you can buy those already packed, right? They're available if you look for them. Yes. When you think about all of this, Olivia, is this something before you got into your profession that you ever thought about before you became a healthcare provider?
2: Yeah, for sure. So I've lived in Florida a long time and I've been through a few different big storms that have come through. Um, I feel this is my first year that I own my own house and that I'm, I don't know, I think I'm officially an adult, I guess. So more falls on me this year than my parents, but um, definitely something I've been through a few times and seen how it goes. So it's easier to get started early for sure.
0: And when the storm comes, uh, do you and Dr. Baria go to work anyhow to be on call, to be ready?
2: Good question,
1: Dr. Baria. I just
2: started here. What do we do?
1: (laughs) We, yes, we do. We do. Uh, you know what? There is, WellMed has an excellent emergency preparedness hotline that sends out um, messages to everybody. And we also have an internal phone tree, and we get the message out to the staff. And then if we have to call the patients, the last, um, I think it was last summer that we actually, we weren't sure in which direction the storm was coming, but our back parking lot floods. And so we did not want the elderly patient population trying to get out to their appointment if they didn't need to be out in inclement weather. And so we'd actually preemptively had called them to say, hey, if you're safe, just stay safe. You don't have to, we could do your visit as a telemedicine if you had that capability. Um, and that uh, we would call in and check in on them.
0: In fact, telemedicine has really given you another opportunity uh, to keep patients safe.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And do you use it?
1: Well, we use it a lot. It's been a godsend through the pandemic, and um, it started out originally when we started telemedicine that we wanted to keep everybody safe and the distance and mass and not have to come out and be around other people if they really didn't need to be. And so telemedicine took off and we're still using it today.
0: Now, when we started talking about this, Olivia, Dr. Faria mentioned uh, her training as an OBGYN and, and how exciting it is to deliver a baby in a storm. And as the storm comes, stress rises. Uh, can that lead to premature delivery?
2: So I feel like I have seen that kind of situation. I don't know, full moons, all sorts of weather changes can make your body do crazy things. So if you're really close to having a baby, that is also a great plan to have is if I can go to the hospital early and stay there in case Um, or at least evacuate to somewhere that you know you're going to be able to go to a hospital if you need to. Hospitals are open 24-7, even in a storm, so as long as you can get there.
0: And as we talk about this, Dr. Barry, what kind of preparation does the clinic make for storms?
1: Oh, we definitely make sure that we have a list of our patients that, um, let's say, they're oxygen-dependent or dialysis patients or but other, other kinds of needs that they have that we check in with the patients to make sure that they've got everything that they need. And if not, if they need refills or something, we will preemptively call in refills for their medications so that they have them. You um, mentioned yeah.
0: oxygen. Mm-hmm. And we're we're going to talk more about oxygen dependence and what you do when the power goes out. And we'll do that in just a moment. If you just joined us, you're listening to Two Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Audrey Barry, and we're talking with one of her colleagues in her clinic, well, at Ninth Avenue North in Saint Petersburg, talking with nurse practitioner Olivia Raman. Delighted to have you with us right here on Two Docs in a Pod. We are so pleased you are sticking with us right here on Two Docs in a Pod presented by WellMed. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co host, Dr. Audrey Barrio, and we're talking on our Two Docs in a Pod hotline down in St. Petersburg, WellMed at ninth Avenue North, with our special guest, nurse practitioner. Olivia Raman. And before we get back to talking about hurricanes and disaster and preparedness, uh, Olivia, what led you into nurse practitioner?
2: Oh, so I, uh, in a very strange way, I guess, I was a middle school teacher for a year and I didn't like that, but I liked working with kids. So I went into pediatric nursing and then I got really close to the families in the hospital. So kind of wanted to broaden my scope and went into family nurse practicing. So kind of a different path than normal. When you but. say you got
0: close to the families, boundaries are tough when you're dealing with yeah. kids. Oh, for sure. Right.
2: Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, it's hard to not take stuff home and feel like, you know, they're part of your family too, especially when you see them, you know, they're in the hospital long-term. It's hard not to get attached
0: for sure. And so you went in the opposite direction, elementary school teacher, pediatrics, now dealing with Medicare eligible seniors. (laughs) You know,
2: also similar to children in some ways, but it's been fun. Yeah, it's it's nice to work with patients throughout the whole scope of their lifetime. And I feel like it's a different world now, but I'm having fun. So so far, so good.
0: you know, for those who are listening, whether for themselves or maybe for their kids or grandkids, talk a little bit about your profession as a nurse practitioner.
2: Sure. So um, nurse practitioners have a lot of different, you know, scopes. A lot. Some of them work in the hospitals. They can be certified in acute care practice. Um, they can be certified in women's care. And you could even become a midwife and deliver babies, just like Audrey Faria did, Um and I went the family practice route. So I work in an outpatient office setting and I do things similar to the physicians in the office. I can prescribe medications. I can diagnose conditions. Um, it's a little easier to get on my schedule. I'm a, a little less in demand. So if you have an acute issue, it's a little easier to get in with me. Um, but it's great working under the doctors. I learn a lot from them and it's been fun. And for um, those who are
0: were- Oh, go ahead.
2: I was
1: going to say, I just have to say that she's been a great addition to our practice. So, Olivia, very nice to have you. Thank you.
0: Thanks. (laughs) And for those who are thinking about this as a career, you've got a master's, but I know the trend now more and more is to go ahead and get a doctorate as well.
2: For sure. Yeah. So um, there's a doctorate in nursing practice, similar scope, you know, it doesn't really change what you can do, but... um, a little more prestige. I still would if I I'm thinking about doing it in the future, but I still, you know, I'm technically would be Dr. Raman, but wouldn't introduce myself as that to get confused with the medical doctors. Um, but I do foresee in the future, it become the norm to get the doctor instead of the masters.
0: Now we'll get back to what we were talking about, which is emergency preparedness. I I'm always tickled by people who, who have lived somewhere forever who when a hurricane or a tornado or severe storms are coming, it's as if they've never seen it before.
2: Yeah, I mean, sometimes people act like it's no big deal or they act like the world's ending. So it is interesting (laughs) to see the difference, yep.
0: And then talk a little bit about uh, keeping in touch with uh, your family and friends in, in, in the middle of a disaster. How important are those contacts?
2: Well, you know, it's important to know your family is safe. Um, When you make a plan, whether it's going to be, you know, shelter in place, if you feel that your home is safe, secure, and you're not in a danger, evacuation, or flood zone, um, letting family know you stayed home is going to be a big deal. Or if you evacuate, letting them know you evacuated is going to be a big deal, too. Um, Because if you go somewhere and they can't find you, they need to know where you tried to go at least. So, making the plan with your family involved is going to be your best bet.
0: And, Dr. Barria, uh, many of your patients aren't really capable of evacuating on their own, are they?
1: No, there are definitely people that would need help. And, um, you know, one of the things that I was hoping that Olivia would touch on is the special needs shelters that um, exist in all the counties and how you would
2: go about. Do you want to expand on that? Already? Yeah, we'll Talk sure. about that.
0: Special needs yeah. shelters?
2: Sure. So um, a lot of the times in cases of emergencies, you know, these shelters will, will pop up a lot of the times in schools um, or community centers. Most of them are for the general population and you can register or you can just show up. Um, but then there are specific ones that are meant for patients with more um Extensive medical needs, so mm-hmm. patients on oxygen, for instance, and maybe need to plug into the oxygen in the wall or need certain electrical requirements for medical equipment. There are special needs shelters, and you can pre register to have a spot in those shelters. Um, you can, you know, look online on your county and find out where those are, how far in advance you need to register. But if they're open for registration now, I would definitely start looking into that.
0: It's interesting. You mentioned oxygen. I wanted to come back to that. Uh, when power goes out, uh, both in, in your case, Olivia, and, and, and Dr. Barria, people who are on oxygen uh, may be facing a serious crisis if they uh, don't have canisters.
1: Mm-hmm. So definitely make sure that when they ha- get, when you get your oxygen tank, that you've got a standby canister that can, in an emergency, you've got access to.
0: And are those accessible now? I know there's been a shortage in some areas of the country.
1: They are, but again, demand is greater than you know what we have available right now. So the earlier you can sign up. To get one if you don't already have one would be my best
0: option. And the same for people who are on a a CPAP, breathing machine, Mm -hmm. who may have Mm -hmm. sleep apnea. What do they do when the power goes out? Olivia, how do you handle that?
2: Yeah, so those would be the people who probably would benefit from going to a special needs shelter. If you anticipate that your power might be out and you don't have a generator or aren't going to be able to you know, have power for a few days, it might be a good idea to register for one of those types of shelters, just so you have that option to use your CPAP, your BiPAP, or whatever um, equipment you may need.
0: And is that something that you and the clinic can help people locate
2: oh, those sure. shelters? Yeah, for sure. I was going to say, our
1: office has a list of all of our oxygen-dependent patients and um, the dialysis patients. So we definitely touch out, reach out to them. And well, that's that another helps. one. We
0: haven't talked about dialysis, but mm-hmm. uh, for people who are on kidney dialysis, uh, it's life-threatening if they can't get it. Exactly.
1: So the dialysis centers have their own protocols in place for these patients because I think, so most of the time you're doing hemodialysis three times a week. Sometimes what they'll do, knowing that a hurricane is coming or storm a massive storm is coming they'll do two days in a row just to preemptively take care of the patient thinking that they might not be able to get to the dialysis
2: center
0: on
1: their scheduled days
2: and olivia
0: how long can you go without dialysis
2: oh it's going to probably depend on the patient but uh, not more than a few days yeah and
1: that's stretching it yes most times when you're on dialysis you need to, I mean, we've seen patients At least of ours two
2: to three days, yeah.
1: that have missed two dialysis sessions and they're needing to get two back-to-back sessions.
0: And for those patients, the stress level has to be used. Talk about mm. pumping your own cortisol. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that sure. stress hormone, right? Yes.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: What, what are some of the other conditions you have to worry about with a storm coming?
1: Diabetes. High blood pressure and basically we want to make sure that the medications that you need and you know if you're checking your blood sugars make sure that you continue to do that but that you have your batteries lined up and you have all of your test strips and your lancets that you have all of that and if you um if you're on insulin and if it needs to be refrigerated that you've got a cooler where you've got ice packs ready to go in case you're you are power goes out and you can't store it in the refrigerator in your own refrigerator and
0: and, and without the insulin that's a similar challenge is it not if you're on insulin and you run out what do you do
1: yes you pray but pray um, (laughs) 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 that's why what olivia had started saying uh that the earlier you get your emergency kit ready the better off you'll be so these are all things that anything that you can do in advance better to do that than procrastinate and wait till the last second
0: now let me imagine if you go online uh, and, and type in what should i put in my emergency hurricane kit you'd find a whole list
2: yeah so um actually the red cross has a really good resource. They have an app that's for free, actually, that can help you build your emergency kit. Um, And it'll also give you emergency updates. So it'll update you on a storm's path um, or, you know, who to call after a storm. Um, And then ready.gov is also a really good resource that has things on how to prepare your home, prepare your kits, and and what to do afterward.
0: Got about a minute left, Dr. Baria. What have we left out?
2: I think we've done a great job of covering everything.
1: Just, you know, I think the biggest thing is to let people that are your loved ones know where you are so that you're easily found. And people aren't, you know, if you've evacuated and you didn't tell anybody, when everything settles down, they could try coming to your house, trying to find you and they don't find you and they're thinking the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. So keep in touch with your loved ones.
0: And the last thing we need is EMS looking for someone who's safe, although people yes. don't know that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, thank you. We really appreciate you coming on, and uh, we hope to talk with you again. Olivia Raman, nurse practitioner down at the Wellman at 9th Avenue North in St. Petersburg. To my co-host, Dr. Audrey Barria, at the same clinic in St. Petersburg, thank you for joining us on Two Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll talk soon. Executive producers for Two Docs in a Pod are Dan Calderon and Leah Madrano. Our producer is Isaac Wilker, and associate producers are Natalie Ibarra and Maurice Hudson. Thank you for listening to Two Docs in a Pod presented by WellMed. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And please be sure to tune in next week for another edition of Two Docs in a Pod with Dr. Audrey Barria and Ron Aaron.